Tonight's reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. <laughs> Good evening. Good to have you with us. Welcome to the Desert Breeze Community Church, the book of Romans. We're working our way through it, how the gospel changes everything, the greatest gift you'll ever receive. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 3. We're looking at verses 21 through 31. One of our DB family members, Steve Howard, sitting right there with his lovely wife, Carla, posted on his uh, Facebook page along with Pastor, uh, Pastor Bradley sent this banner out also. And on this banner, it said, you should be as excited about church as about the Super Bowl. So when the pastor makes a point this Sunday, pour Gatorade over his head. <laughs> so I'm not going to be making any points here tonight. Oh, wait a minute. Did I hear someone say he never makes any points? That'll get you excommunicated. <laughs> so... Uh, I was a little suspicious when Pastor Mark uh, asked me this last Friday what was my favorite color and flavor of Gatorade. So I want the security to watch this guy right here and Mark sitting right back there. They're not even going to get close to the stage here tonight. Good to have you with us. Uh, no Gatorade, please, but I am expecting a little more excitement and enthusiasm this weekend. You guys ready? Because we got a great study here tonight. Uh, let me start by sharing with you one of my favorite movies, Chariots of Fire. Anybody here, show of hands, ever see the movie? It's a great movie. One Best Picture, 1981. It talks about the 1924 Great Britain Olympic team. And it contrasts two different guys. One is by the name of Harold Abrahams. He's an unbeliever. He's a Jewish Englishman. And he runs for his own glory, for his own justification. In fact, there's a scene in the movie where he's getting ready to run in the Olympics, and he's got his trainer in there, and he says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And it's evident that he's running for his own glory because success tends to inflate him, goes to his head, 
And failure tends to deflate him. It goes to his heart. There's a time in there where he loses a race and he is, he's really upset. He's overwhelmed. And so he's, he's, he's running for his own glory. That's to be compared with Eric Little, who was a Christian. This is a true story, by the way. Eric Little, certainly a, a great man of God, was a missionary to China and he ran for Scotland, and as opposed to uh, Harold Abrahams, who ran for his own glory, Eric Little ran for God's glory. There's a scene in the movie where his sister's trying to get him back on the mission field, and he says to her, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so he had all the justification he had ever need in Christ Jesus. Therefore, he was using that as a platform to proclaim the name of Christ. He later on went back to the mission field and then died in prison there in China. Fascinating story. Let me ask you this question. Look at your sermon notes here. Are you living to justify yourself or are you living because you are justified? An interesting thing about Eric Little is that his race came up on a Sunday and he refused to run because it was the Lord's Day. So he was willing to give up a gold medal so they were able to figure it out where he was able to run during the week at another race, still won a gold medal. But his, his convictions and his identity and his sense of uh, justification was already done. He didn't have to prove himself to anyone. So are you living to justify yourself or are you living because you are justified? Every person must find some way to justify their existence and overcome the universal fear that their life is insignificant. That's all of us. Now, there's a couple different ways that we do that. We've already been talking about these two ways. The first way it really is, or one of the ways, is in the traditional cultures, this would be the religious way of doing it. Our sense of worth and identity come from fulfilling duties to family and serving society. It's called moral conformity. That's the elder brother and the prodigal son story found in the 15th chapter of Luke. We've already talked about that. The other way would be modern in, uh, the modern culture uh, way or the individualistic cultures. That's the culture we, we live in for the most part. We live in a very modern individualistic culture. We look to our, our performance. I am what I do. Our possessions, I am what I have. Or our popularity, I am what people say about me. That's self-discovery. Now, those are kind of the two primary ways that we try to justify ourselves, to get a sense of meaning and hope and happiness in our lives, yeah, or maybe somewhere in between. Maybe you'd find yourself somewhere in between or going back and forth between the two, religious or irreligious. Everyone is building their identity on something. Making anything more central to your identity than God is, is sinful. The word sin means missing the mark. You're living way, way below your potential, your privilege and what God has uh, designed for you. He wants you to flourish, and the more you live according to His will, the more you're going to flourish in your life. And so this takes you outside of His will, and it is also inherently unstable. You're building your life on something that's temporal, something created. You're getting your identity from something created as opposed to the Creator. Now, here's where we're going in our study and where we are in Romans. Have you ever seen a brilliant, beautiful sunrise break through ominous, dark storm clouds? Maybe early in the morning, you got these dark storm clouds, and you see this beautiful sunrise begin to break through that. Well, Paul now turns from the dark storm clouds of human sin. We've been talking about that for four weeks. 
all the way from Romans 1, 18 to 3.20. And he's, so Paul now turns from the dark storm clouds of human sin. We're, we're all, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's one of the verses we have in our text here, here tonight. And so he's just basically leveling the playing field. We're all separated from God. This planet Earth is a mess. He made that very clear. And so Paul now turns from the dark storm clouds of human sin to show us the breathtaking sunrise of the gospel, the greatest gift you'll ever receive. Believe me, if you can understand what he's talking about here, oh my goodness, there's nothing better. Nothing better than this. In fact, I've got it there on your notes. This is the gift. We are justified freely. The the text used the word gift, so it's a gift. Not something you can achieve, it's something you receive. So we are justified freely by faith through the blood of Christ. So that's where we're going with the study. Let's take a moment. Let's, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's ask for uh, God's help here to understand this, to apply this to our lives. Father God, we know that all human problems are ultimately symptoms. And our rebellion and separation from God is the cause. And this is the only cure, the greatest gift we'll ever receive that we are justified freely by faith through the blood of Christ. We pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand what it is, how we can receive it, how you provide it, so that we can have the most solid foundation for our lives to face anything, anything for your glory and and a life filled with your joy. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said... Amen. So what is it? Look at verse 21. Verse 21, this is the first of our text. But now, so we just spent three chapters talking about our sinfulness, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. The word righteousness in verse 21 is the word justify throughout the rest of the passage. And uh, it's all the same word, the Greek word there I've got there on your notes. It means to be just or justified is exactly the same as receiving God's righteousness. Here's your first uh, couple fill in the blanks. So what is this idea of the righteousness, the greatest gift you'll ever receive, the righteousness of God? We are justified freely by faith through the blood of Christ. It is a validating performance record that opens doors it's, it's like a resume. Of course, the door it opens for us is it reconciles us back to, to God. But let's, let's talk about it as it relates to what resumes, what we use resumes for. So what is the purpose of a resume? What is the purpose of a validating performance record? It is an argument for why you should be hired for a job or accepted into a college or part of a team or a club. Now, it's not just for jobs and colleges, but also for friendships, romance, and and relationships. Before I got married, Nancy required me to turn in a validating performance record. That was so rude of her. She wouldn't even date me until I gave her a resume. Um, But... uh, so it's also, it, so it's not just for jobs and colleges, but also for friendships, romance, uh, marriage, the esteem of others. I mean, we kind of size up each other. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, even our own personal self-esteem is built on a kind of a resume system. So go back to the, the movie, Chariots of Fire. Harold Abraham's validating performance record was winning a gold medal. 
he was trying to prove that his life matters. If I, can, if I have the applause of the crowd, win the gold medal, I'm somebody, I'm something. To where Eric Little, his validating performance record was his love, security, and significance in Christ Jesus. He had a rock-solid foundation, so he could take it or leave it. So he wasn't working for his identity, but from his identity, not for his justification, but from a a rock-solid justification. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul gives us a very impressive list of his credentials. I mean, he wrote most, uh, well, a lot of the, the New Testament he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. And this is the guy that uh, was a persecutor of Christians who became a proclaimer of Christ. He had pretty impressive credentials. And he goes through the list of them in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. And then it's fascinating because after he hits the end of this, which most people would give him a standing ovation, go, woo, that's amazing. He says this, let me summarize it here in Philippians 3.8, all of that is worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ. I have a validating performance record in Jesus that I wouldn't give it up for anything, and all of that, uh, yeah, it may be impressive to you, but not so much to me, because I have a righteousness that's found in Christ and all that He's done for me. And, and so, I've I, it's really interesting to, to, to see the comparison there. How many are going to watch the game tomorrow? You guys going to football people here? Okay. What, who are you guys rooting for? Chiefs. Any Eagle fans out there? I think the Eagles are going to win, but anyway. Um, I was thinking about it. I did a little research here. So you got Philadelphia Eagles and Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Jalen Hurts made $1.1 million and will increase to $4.2 million next year. How much do you think Patrick Mahomes made this year? Forty-five million. He's on a contract right now. Forty-five million. It's a ten-year contract. Forty-five million dollars for ten years. I think it's about four years or more into it, with a twenty-six million potential bonuses at five hundred and three million at the end of that ten years potential. You think we got some messed-up values in our culture today? Would you agree with that? Like, we could use some of that to pay for better, you know, for our police officers and our school teachers. And I mean, I mean, doesn't that make sense? I mean, the money that we dump into entertainment, it shows our values are off, obviously. But I wanted to make a point here. And the point is, let's just say that Patrick Mahomes, he's already won one Super Bowl. Let's say he wins two. But then he goes and is able to win, let's see, five, maybe six more. Uh, one more than Tom Brady, who's won seven Super Bowls. And I, th- I heard a testimony by him. I'm not sure if he's a believer or not. And I also heard one from uh, Jalen Hurts. But let's just say at the end of that, after he makes $503 million and wins eight Super Bowls, that he were to say, it's all worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Because that would be accurate because that's what Paul's saying. I mean, when you understand what you have in Christ... In light of eternity and what we have in Christ, that it really is. It's not that big of a deal. Here's the next point on your notes. It is not just pardon from God. Pardon means forgiveness of sins, but an incredible privilege in relationship with God. So here, here's what's so incredible about the Christian life. He not only forgives us, but he invites us into the most amazing relationship you'll ever have, the most satisfying, fulfilling relationship you'll ever have, and that's with the God of the galaxies, that we could have relationship with him. I believe it's life's most satisfying reality. 
is knowing him, walking with him, enjoying him. And that's what he's offering us. See, pardon from God says, you may go, you are free from the penalty of sin. Privilege with God, privilege in relationship with God says, you may come into all my love, presence, and provision. This is what, it, this is what righteousness means. You're not, your sins are, not only are your sins forgiven, but you're brought into such a close, intimate relationship that is mind-blowing with the God of the galaxies. You have his love. By the way, his love is better than anything you'll ever find in life. You have his presence with you, never to leave you or forsake you. You have his provision. He'll take care of you. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. He's talking about privileges and power and potential in your life that is beyond your wildest dreams. Romans 5.10 puts it this way, kind of helps us to understand what this righteousness is. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, that was true, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We have the very life of God in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Here's your next point on your notes. It is an identity that all the success in this world can't give you. All the $503 million in all the applause of the crowd and all the Super Bowl wins of a Patrick Mahone or even a Jalen Hurts is nothing compared to what we have in Christ. There, there is a relationship with Christ. I mean, I, maybe they have that. That would be fantastic because they would begin to see the difference between what they have in Christ and, and what they have in this world. It, uh, what they have in this world is nothing compared to what, what they have in Christ. That would be the idea here. So it is identity that all the success in this world can't give you and all the suffering in this world can never take from you. In fact, what you find in suffering is it just drives you deeper into what you have in Christ. I, I shared this last week in John six twenty seven. Uh, Jesus is saying, don't work for food. He just fed the multitudes, and he's telling them because they're coming for the free lunch. And he's saying, don't work for food. Don't work for, you, for an identity that perishes, but work for food or an identity that is, that's eternal. And then he goes on, to, he tells us where we can find that identity uh, that validating performance record, that resume, the best res resume you'll ever have is found in him in John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never go hungry. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment that you can never find anywhere on this planet. No amount of success can give that to you. No amount of suffering can ever take that from you. I found it interesting that... Um, Remember when Jesus sent out his disciples kind of two by two to go out and minister to the folks? And when they came back, whoa, they were stoked. Talk about, talk about ministry success. They were, they were saying, hey, demons listen to us. We're casting out demons. We're seeing people's lives set free. Remember what Jesus said? He said, don't, don't glory, don't boast that demons listen to you. Boast that your name is written in the book of life, that you have a validating performance record by knowing me and walking with me. That's so much more important. Because what are you going to do when, when ministry isn't going so well? You're not going to do so well. But you can always do well because you have a validating performance record in me. 
I love that. Heard a story of a guy who was a writer who felt his writing career was not not going anywhere. He wanted to make a difference, but nobody was buying his stuff. And he said, occasionally I start to wonder, what am I really here for? What am I really living for? And then he said, but then when I look at my two little daughters, my two little girls, then I know my existence is justified. They justify my existence. What do you think of that? Is that, is that kind of scary? Is, that, is he still misplacing his sense of identity a bit? He, it seems like he's, he's kind, of, kind of transferred from one temporal thing. I mean, certainly his daughters are more important than his career is. I would agree with that. And yet I see people do that all the time. They move it from one created thing, maybe to a better created thing, but it's still a created thing. It's still a temporal thing. It's still a dangerous thing. They justify my existence. You, you see, if that is true and if... And, and he, if that is true, and he is one of many parents who look to their children to justify their existence, then he's going to destroy them. He's going to destroy his kids. His passion for his children's happiness and success is selfish. It's not about his kids. It's about him. It's about validating him, giving him a sense of justification. Whoa, 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 he's way too needy. He'll either overly control his girls or be too compliant. He'll swing to one extreme or the other. I mean, if anything goes wrong with his children, and something probably will inevitably in our fallen world, believe me. I mean, he will melt down and not be in a position to help them. He won't really be the parent he always thought he was. Why is that? It goes back to what we're talking about here. Because he is parenting for his justification rather than from his justification. So you can kind of see how important this justification is. And yet it's a gift to us, for us, through Christ. It goes back to what I said. We are justified freely It's a gift by faith through the blood of Christ. Oh, my goodness. That's that's absolutely amazing. So, how do we receive it? How do we receive it? Let's walk through the, the text. Verse 21, it is not based on performance. It's not based on our performance or record. Um... Look at verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That's what he means by that. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it, but you can receive it, and that's based on verse 22. It is received through faith in Christ Jesus. It is received through faith in Christ Jesus. So so what is the gospel? I mean, if I were to ask you to turn to the person next to you and ask them, what is the gospel? Could you, could you say what the gospel is? But you need to know the gospel. You want to be able to articulate it, but much more you want it to have, a, have captivated your heart. So what is the gospel? The gospel is not good advice about what you must do to be right with God. It is good news about what God has done through His Son 
to make you right with him. It's not what you do, it's what has been done for you. The gospel is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins. And all who repent and believe in him have everlasting life. I'm telling you, the gospel is the most amazing message I've ever heard. It is life-transforming. It is nothing like anything you'll ever hear preached by any other major religious group on the planet. Everything else is about what you must do, but this is about what has been done for you, and, and it's, it's received through faith in Christ Jesus. Heard a, another interesting testimony of a man who worked in the field he called uh, wealth management, wealth management, and after the 2008 terrible recession, you guys remember that? I mean, people in our church losing homes and losing jobs and moving out of town, and it was ugly. And after the 2008 terrible recession, he lost an enormous amount of money. And here's, here's what he said. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. Here's what he said. I've never been happier in my life after that great loss. And listen to why, why he said that. Because if the great recession had happened a few years ago when my justification was still in my wealth... I know where the vodka bottle is, and I would have driven myself right into the ground. And so, and he goes on, he talks a little bit more about this, but basically what he's saying is that he had received Christ not only for his forgiveness, but as his righteousness, as his righteousness, as his validating performance record, so it created this stability in his life, and he was able to really, from that point on, begin to handle anything because his wealth was no longer his righteousness, but just wealth. Christ had become his righteousness, his greater wealth. So what he's showing us is that we need to do that with every aspect of our life. Our tendency is to take good things and turn them into our righteousness, our marriage, our kids, our, you know, our jobs, our money, our bank accounts. I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what people say about me, all of that. We base it on, on a performance basis, and we've got to remove it from that. So here's what we could, here's what faith is. So, so how do I receive? It's not based on, on our performance. Our record is received through faith in Christ. So what does that look like? What makes you a Christian is that you don't just confess and repent of your sins. Think about this but you confess and repent of your false justifications, your righteousness, your validating performance record, those things you're trying to get from, you know, that sense of security and significance, the created things you're trying to get security and significance from that you should be getting from God. So you confess, you repent of those things and replace it with the indispensable and costly love and security and significance freely given to us through Christ Jesus. And it's not a one-and-done kind of a thing. When we talk about faith in Christ, I might say, hey, have you given your life to Christ? Let's see. Uh, yeah, about 20 years ago, I gave my life to Christ. No, you better be doing that every day. It's a lifestyle of repentance and faith. I don't know about you, but man, my heart chases after a lot of crazy stuff. There's a lot of things that compete for my heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from Christ. And I've got to be extremely careful with that and, and be in touch with that and repent, confess, and turn to Christ to say, wait, 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 that's not my righteousness. 
That's not my righteousness. You're my righteousness. You're my validating performance record. We're going to get into that a little bit more next week. So that's what we've got to learn how to do. We're going to talk about the anatomy of faith and then the application of faith in the next two weeks in Romans 4. It's, it's quite spectacular. It's going to teach us how to do that. So we've got to learn how to, how to navigate that because there's too many things in our life that grab our our heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from Christ. It's called idolatry, by the way. Remember what we talked about, you know, the idea of sin. Sin is, is, starts with unbelief. I doubt God has my best interest at heart. I doubt his goodness. That leads to pride. I take life into my own hands. I'm going to call my own shots. And then that leads to idolatry. Immediately, I'm going to substitute God for a counterfeit God or a pseudo-savior. This is what this is. We get our, our validating performance record, our, our credentials, our job success, our marriage, our kids, any number of things. And then when that crashes, so goes our validating record. It crashes along with it. But if our validating performance record is in Christ, success in this world won't go to our head and failure won't go to our heart. It won't inflate us, nor will it deflate us. We'll talk more about that next week as we work through chapter 4, as we work, work that out. Here's the next one. It is needed by and available to every person. That's your next fill in the blank. It's based on verses 22 through 23. He says there in verse 23, maybe you're familiar with it, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what he's saying here is that everyone is building their identity on something, Making anything more central to your identity than God is sinful and inherently unstable. That's what we said at the very beginning. So, uh, <laughs> we, we live in a, America, United States of America, and we've got a state, Nevada, that their city is, has a nickname. It's called Sin City. Almost like, woo! Yeah, let's go to Sin City. No, the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. That's like death city. I mean, if we were going to re rename it, it's like, no, you don't, you know what you're thinking. You've been duped. You think that's going to help you to flourish? You're being deceived. That's crazy. That's crazy thinking. Yeah, I'm going to live however I want to live. And I'm going to really live. No, you're not. In time, you're not going to. It's not going to end well. The wages of sin is death. Listen, God has your best interest at heart. No one loves you like he does. Live more and more according to his design. I'm telling you what, you're going to flourish. You will flourish like unlike any other time. It doesn't mean you're going to have all great things happening to you, but no matter what happens to you, you have him, and he's better than anything that you could ever have in this world. Absolutely better. Having a relationship with him, nothing will satisfy you like he can satisfy you. This, so, it's, so it's just almost, when I hear people talk about, you know, like they're chasing after this crazy stuff, he says, for all have sinned. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of our potential, our privilege, what we have in Christ Jesus. We're all building our identity on something and making anything more central to your identity than God is sinful, inherently unstable. It's not going to go well, I'm just telling you. I mean, I'm in the business to help people pick up the pieces and put them back together again. I've been doing this for a long time. I see it happen all the time. People crash and burn, man. People's lives are train wrecks. This place is a mess. 
I saw it when I was a paramedic with Phoenix Fire for many years. That's what drove me to be a pastor because I realized they need more than Band-Aids. They need Jesus. They need the gospel. They need heart transformation. They need to fall in love with him. They need to be so happy in him that sin loses its appeal. Because right now, they think that they're going to be happier by chasing something other than the Savior. And this is, this is what we need to understand. What we have, this is the best and the greatest gift you'll ever have, is knowing him, walking with him, experiencing him in your life. I'm telling you, I wouldn't trade it for anything. What I've had in him and what I've experienced in him, and it's for me. I mean, I, I, I practice spiritual disciplines. I want to increase my capacity to experience more of him. <laughs> the older I get, woo, the better it gets the better it gets. And so I, I love him with all of my heart. And this is, uh, I don't want to live. I don't want to fall short of the glory. I'm going to live for his glory. Because the more I live for his glory, the more satisfied I am. They're one in the same pursuit. Holiness and happiness are one in the same pursuit. The more holy you become, that is, more like Christ, the more you follow him, the more you become like him, the more you spend time with him, there's no happiness like that. Okay, it is free to us, but costly to Christ. That's verse 24. You guys know what cheap grace is? Have you ever heard the idea of cheap grace? There's a really, really, I'm not, I'm not getting down on him. Maybe I am, okay. Uh, it's, he's the most popular TV preacher in America. And he teaches cheap grace. Okay, I'm just telling you, you can figure that one out. Doesn't talk about sin. It's called cheap grace. There's too much sin, too many problems in this world. I don't need to talk about that. I just want to talk about happy, happy thoughts. Let's just have happy thoughts. Let's be happy. Let's be chipper. And it's, it's kind of sick. But it's weird, too, because it's not really helping anybody. And cheap grace doesn't actually transform people's lives. Let me explain to you what cheap grace is. I mean, we just spent four weeks talking about sin, those were not easy verses to go through. And, I, and like you've heard me say before, the hard messages produce soft people. Soft messages produce hard people. I don't want to be a hard person. I want to be soft. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I want his grace. I need his grace. I'm not smarter than him. I'm not more loving than him. I know he's got my best interest at heart. That's insane to think anything other than that. That's just stupidity. And that's just the enemy gets a hold of our head. And, but that cheap grace, but a lot of people just want to soft sell it. And, you know, and I, I believe that when you study the scripture, at least it does it for me. When I study God's word, it comforts the disturbed and it disturbs the comfortable. There are times I need to be disturbed. There's other times I need to be comforted. And God knows exactly how to come after me. And he always loves me because he's drawing me closer to him. He wants me to know him more. In fact, I know that I've got a healthy relationship with God is because I'm not running the other way. I'm running to him. When I fall down, he's there to pick me up. When I mess up, he's there to forgive me and love me. I can run into his arms of love. And you can too. And so it's, it's a costly, but cheap grace is marked by formalism. It's all form and no substance. Just kind of going through the motions, checking the church box. Yep, I did that. Woohoo. Woo Went to church this weekend. No, no. Did you encounter Christ? Do you know him? Are you walking with him? And it's also marked not just by formalism, but liberalism. God just loves everybody and forgives everybody. It doesn't really matter how you live, kind of an attitude. You know, it's called liberalism. All love, very little truth about how messed up we are. 
And these are people who don't understand the insurmountable size of their sin debt and how indispensable and costly Christ's provision was in taking care of that debt. The more you understand there isn't a thing you can do to reconcile yourself back to God. That's how much you've sinned against a holy, righteous God. You are more sinful than you ever dared to think. You were so sinful, Jesus had to die for you. It's indispensable, but it's unbelievably costly. He loved you so much, he wanted to die for you. And when you understand that, see, that's what transforms your heart, is to understand your sin debt in light of his incredible provision. That's why you got to talk about sin. But man, you know what? I'm a terrible sinner, but he's an amazing savior. So when you understand that, you live in the reality of that, that's, it, it transforms your heart. So how does, how does God provide it? Here it is, verse 25. It is based on Christ's death. He uses an interesting word there in verse uh, 25. Anybody know the definition of propitiation? Anybody here? Because I, I didn't look it up, so maybe you could help me out here there, Gary. Thanks for raising your hand. You're the only one in here. So why don't you come on up here and grab the mic? And I'm just kidding you. I did look it up. I, I'm very familiar with the word. It's an interesting word. It's in the ESV, propitiation. It's the same is used in 1 John 2, 2. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation is a word that means that God's wrath is turned away from us, and we are restored to a place of favor and friendship with God. So remember when Jesus was in the garden, he was crying out, sweating drops of blood, and he says, let this cup pass from me. What is the cup? It's the cup of the wrath of God. He knew that he was going to have to drink it for you and I. And so he took what was meant for us. The wrath of God was meant for us. That was placed upon Jesus. He drank that cup for you and I. And so that propitiation, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins so this idea is that it's based on Christ's death. Christ's death is an invitation to his enemies, that's us, to be his closest friends. He's inviting us into a friendship relationship with God. What? That's crazy. That's the gospel. And what it is, it satisfies both the justice, both God's justice and love. Verse 26 Satisfies both God's justice and love. So the justice of God is that aspect of his character that de demands payment for sin. He's a just God. Payment for sin. But his love is that aspect of his nature that seeks our reconciliation and justification. So how does he work that out? On the cross... On the cross, you see both the justice of God and the love of God collide. Look at verse 26. It was to show his righteousness. Righteousness, once again, right standing with God. Um, means pardon and privilege in relationship with him. So his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, notice the descriptive words that he used, that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he's both just and he's the justifier. So in justice, God passed the required sentence of death on our sin, but in love, he took that punishment of self on the cross. He justified us. I mean, the judge of the universe took our judgment for us, paid in full, total and complete access into the throne room of God, 24-7, you and I, 
That's what he's offering us. And verses 27 through 30, it gives all glory to God. That's your next fill in the blank. Gives all glory to God. When you live a good life so that God will bless you and take you to heaven, it's by definition not good. I talked about it last week. It's not a good life. So when you live a good life so that God will bless you and take you to heaven, it's by definition not good because it's all about you. You're not helping the poor, you're helping yourself. You're not helping God, you're helping yourself. You're using God. That's called religion, it's called moralism. Every belief system other than Christianity is based on that. You work your tail off, you hit the marks, and then God accepts you. You're using God. You're a moralist. That's all about you. You're serving the poor because you want to earn right standing with God. See, religion says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. That's religion. That's not Christianity. I get the glory. It is serving God as a means to an end. It's very self-centered. The gospel says this. It's breathtaking. God accepts me and blesses me in Christ beyond my wildest dreams. Therefore, I want to obey him. So, so I'm, I'm operating, I, what I do for God, when I help the poor, I'm doing it out of an overflow of my love for God and what he's poured into my heart. I'm not doing it out of a deficit, trying to get, fill up a neediness. It's not for me, it's for God and for their sake. I'm not working for my justification, I'm working from my justification. Oh my goodness, that's a beautiful way to live. I'm so filled up with him, I keep my heart filled up with him. It's so important you keep your heart filled up with him. That's why I practice spiritual disciplines. First thing I do every morning, man, I spend time with him. I got to fill my heart up. I got to get my, find my justification. I know I've got it. I got to fill my heart up on all that he is for me in Christ Jesus. Find my satisfaction in him. And then out of that overflow, then I can minister to others. Then I don't get so stressed out, you know, when people say things and do things. And, you know, people do stupid stuff, don't they? We all do it. I'm right there with them. You know, you're just like, don't people just bother you sometimes? Huh? You have a few people you just like to choke out. It's like, I like, to, I like to work them over. Well, it's because you probably need to go back to your devotions and spend some time with Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Thank you very much. Sometimes when I skip my devotions, I'm more like that, I think, sometimes. But uh, sometimes it's just, you know, it's just the way it is. But I'm telling you, he... Uh, all glory. When you do that, when you live for God, God gets the glory. When God accepts me in Christ, therefore I want to obey. God gets the glory. I'm serving God as, as an end, as the end, God-centered. Here it is. And it produces loving obedience. We're done. I'll share with you a quick story here and we'll be finished up. So look at what he says in verse 31. This is our last verse. Do we then overthrow the law by its faith? So what do we do with the law? The Ten Commandments. The greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We just disregard that? No, no, actually, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Of course, I'm going to live for his glory. I'm going to live for his glory. Now, look at the last statement on your notes. In every other religious system, the performance comes before the verdict. So the performance comes before the verdict. In other words, you work for your justification. Get your act together. 
Come on, what's wrong with you? I've actually heard some Christian, Christian pastors almost preach messages like that. Come on, get your act together. What's wrong with you? You need to get over that. Get over here so God will accept you. Well, he's already accepted you. You just don't understand that because that's gonna, what is going to help you to get through the junk that you're trying to work through. But, but see, that's religion. But only in the gospel, Christianity, the verdict comes before the performance. You work from your justification. It's not a sweeter way to live. John 8, 1 through 11, quick story here. Shared with you the story last weekend of uh, Hosea marrying the prostitute Gomer. It was a pretty fabulous story. Let me share with you another story. Here's a gal that was caught in adultery. You guys remember the story by Jesus? The woman was caught in adultery. The Pharisees caught her red-handed. And and what's interesting, I don't know where the man is because it takes two to commit adultery, but for some reason, I think they trapped her, but they were were doing that to trap Jesus. They bring her before Jesus and the disciples, and uh, they're saying that the, the law says we need to kill her, destroy her, stone her to death. And uh And so Jesus says something quite profound, kind of balancing the playing field a bit. He says, he is without sin. You guys are familiar with that? He is without sin. Throw the first stone. What do all the Pharisees do? They walk out one by one, and then Jesus is there just with this woman caught in adultery, certainly filled with shame and guilt. And he walks over to her, and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, I have none. And he says something so quite profound and so gospel-saturated. He says, neither do I accuse you, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, notice he did not say, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. The verdict comes before the performance. Neither do I condemn you. I'm going to die for you. It's going to erase all of your sins, and I'm going to set you free. And when you understand the validating performance record that I'm going to give to you, all the love and the security and significance you'll, you'll ever know, you're not going to want to commit adultery anymore. You're not going to do that stuff because this is going to so satisfy you. That's really what he's saying. It's just breathtaking. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The verdict comes before the performance. If you're not doing good with the performance, come back to the verdict. I'm telling you, no one loves you like he loves you. Are you living to justify yourself? Or are you living because you're justified? Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here tonight and you've never made a confession of faith in Jesus, this would be a really good time to do that. Just acknowledge your sin that separates you from God. Believe that he died in your place for your sins. Confess him as Savior and Lord even now as we're praying. Father God, whether we tend to be religious or irreligious, we all confess and repent, not just for our sins, but for our faults, justifications, and righteousness. Lord, reveal those things to us those things that compete in our hearts, for our hearts' deepest loyalties and affections away from you. We know that making anything more central to our identity than you is is a false justification and righteousness. So tonight, Lord, we transfer our ultimate trust, our hope and love to receiving the greatest gift we'll ever receive, that we are justified freely by faith through the blood of Christ. We are so grateful that this makes, this takes us, this takes us out of the courtroom. The trial is over. The verdict is in. The only eyes in the universe that matters loves us, adores us, gave his life for us. 
giving us a perfect validating performance record and filling us with a love and a security and a significance that all the success in this world can't give us and all the suffering in this world can't take from us. Help us now to always, always live for your glory and our joy in you. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said... Amen. Hey, I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders and leaders. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you've got questions, we'd love to answer those questions for you. Love you guys.